Alrighty, thank you guys so much for joining us back here at the Podcast of the Youth. As always, I'm going to be your host for today. My name is Seven, and I just wanted to uh, start by letting you guys know that I really appreciate you for taking your time out of your day. Um, Last week, we had a bit of a poll situation to see um, if there was a specific topic you guys had in mind. I listed out a few options there, and I really appreciate that you guys really took your time and let me know, giving me that feedback. And, uh, you know, to obviously comply with uh, what the highest poll was, I um, I wanted to make this podcast a little focused around that topic, which was it's going to be a little bit of a tough one, but it's uh, it's going to be focusing on essentially our youth, um, specifically the, the our African-American youth experiencing a bit of a um a bit of a divide I, I would say in school a little bit of a i don't want to say segregation but for the lack of a better term so feeling a bit of a divide a bit of segregation in school and uh just a bit of like some of those negative side effects and i also do want to touch on the topic of even um being in a more positive environment i guess i would say as opposed to a negative one yet still a lot of those challenges that are posed uh to the the youth of you know the african-american youth um i also have been very fortunate that i have a very close friend who has a bit of a tough situation that's somewhat related to this topic and luckily they kind of reached out they you know they saw that what the podcast was about they saw the topic and you know they gave me a little bit of information on their situation obviously it's their personal matter so i don't want to get too far into it but you know, I do have a bit of a bit of personal touch to this topic. Anyways, without further ado, um, I'd love to get into this. So, what is this topic specifically? What you know? What do you mean segregation? Seven. I'm sure you guys are asking. It's 2021. There's you know, there's no way we're gonna be reversing back to those things. Well, in a very physical sense, I 100% agree. It is 2021. You're 100% right. Um, you know, a lot of minorities and majorities can be in the same restaurant and there's not going to be a violent, um, outcome from it because there was some sort of broken law there, you know, I mean, that is excellent and it's awesome that we can send our kids to the same schools, you know, disregarding the race difference and whatnot. But there is a bit of a, I would say like an underground problem, you know, and, Um, from a more personal touch and not so much, you know, data-based, I do, I just want to say that, um, there are, I know a lot of people who went to a predominantly, let's just say Caucasian school, um, costed a little more money, perhaps a private school, um, but they didn't come from that background like the rest of the students. A lot of those students, you know, lived up on the beach and felt as if they had to get dragged onto a vacation somewhere gorgeous like Fiji. And, you know, that student who was from somewhere like Inglewood or, you know, Wilmington or somewhere where it's a little rougher around the edges, they had to kind of nod along and act like that was their reality as well. When the reality was that for them, a trip like Fiji is something that they can only dream of in a million years if they ever make that career that they would hope for. You know, their vacation is more um let's just say going to a hotel or something uh you know a couple you know maybe a 30 mile trip away in palm springs 
that's a vacation. And then, and that's still awesome, of course, take nothing away from that. But it's two separate realities, very, very much so. However, we, you know, these students will find themselves um, in the position of having to kind of, uh, let's just say, morph their identity into something different. Instead of identifying as, um, let's just say, for example, I'm just, you know, this is actually no particular name, just gonna um, make up an example. Let's say someone named John, um, let's just say a John B., from somewhere like Wilmington, um, you know, grew up with decent money, uh, never, never really saw a ton of struggle until later years. But you know, overall, just not spoiled so much kind of just got by with the bare necessities and nothing further, still a good life. Um, they go somewhere like uh, middle school that is located not even a, a mile walk from the beach on the South Bay. And all of a sudden, their classmates and they're they're rubbing elbows with people who happen to be the son and daughter of a millionaire, or they happen to be rubbing elbows with somebody that has more pocket money just to spend walking around in the town than their father probably carries in his in his wallet that he works hard for. So, I mean, and there's nothing to take away from, you know, I'm not trying to take away from any other lifestyle, but it is very, very different. And many times I feel that a student like John, per se, they're going to be rubbing elbows with these people and there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. They're going to learn a lot of positive things. They're going to they're going to benefit from it. But ultimately, they're also going to have to uh, find themselves kind of uh, playing with their identity a bit there. They're not going to keep identifying in two years' time as that rough kid from, you know, Wilmington that had to go through a lot to get where they are now, uh, maybe much further down the road. But for, you know, let's just say in two years' time, they're going to kind of identify as a kid who did what they had to do and um, adjusted their traits, accepted a lot of, let's just say, maybe unex. In other contexts, unacceptable talk, accepted a lot of really uh, uneasy conversations, agreed with a lot of very controversial statements, um, inappropriate jokes, you get the gist, um, for the sake of trying to blend in. There's nothing worse than st sticking out like a sore thumb, so blending in obviously would be the best choice. Um, at least, you know, as an adolescent, I mean, later in life, it doesn't matter as much, but I digress. Um, you know, now that I've kind of touched on a bit of a personal uh, touch there as far as, you know, kind of just the general idea of what that situation may look like with our youth, um, our minorities specifically, kind of struggling to find their identity. I also... Uh, I did a little further research just because I, I kind of wanted to have something solid to stand on. You know, I didn't want to feel like I was just swinging at nothing there. Um, with that being said, I went on to economicpolicyinstitute.org, which I feel is a very, fairly reputable uh, resource that I look to from time to time for a solid reference. And I really, really loved this uh, article that was named Schools Are Still Segregated and Black Children Are Paying a Price by Emma Garcia. 
it was uh written in february 12 2020 so fairly recent for the most part it should be you know i, I don't see how it will be too far off from the reality as of you know right now in 2021 um without further ado uh a big part of the article a subtitle of it that really caught my attention the specific article the specific part of the article that i really focused on was black children are still relegated to separate and unequal schools Findings on school segregation and student performance come from the National Center for Education Statistics National Assessment of Educational Progress. Sorry, that was a long one. Uh, NAEP for short, which I wish I led with. Uh, the most comprehensive study of education performance in the country is the most released data to prescribe uh, school segregation and its consequences for math performance of eighth graders. These data show that only about one in eight white students, so 12.9%, attends a school where majority of the students are Black, Hispanic, Asian, or American Indian. We refer to this group collectively as students of the color hereafter. In contrast, nearly 7 in 10 Black children, 69.2, attend such schools. As shown in Figure B, Black students are also in economically segregated schools, Less than one in three white students, 31.3%, attend a high poverty school compared to more than seven in 10 black students, 72.4. All right, so as you can see, uh, I know there's a lot of numbers being thrown out there. It's a little hard to decipher. Trust me, I've been reading this like 15 times in a row. But as you can probably make out there for the most part, um, those numbers are very, very opposing as far as uh, in c comparing, you know, the minorities to the majority there. Specifically, we're looking at the Caucasian and, you know, the African-American student experience for the for the Caucasian experience. Obviously, it does exist that they're going to be in a bit higher of a poverty uh, school, which would be probably derived from a higher, po you know, living in a high poverty area. It happens uh, definitely. But 12.9 percent is. Um, fairly low compared to a, a 69.2% from the African-American students. Um, you know, percentages don't seem like much usually, but when you usually kind of break it down and actually see what those numbers are looking like, it makes quite the difference. Um, overall, I think that this kind of... Uh, the statistic honestly shocked me a bit because I I always knew that it would be you know a bit lopsided obviously but when you actually see a general a genuine fact to kind of lean on it is quite uh shocking to say the least, um. But I think it's it's very fitting uh to see that this this uh phenomenon that we we're speaking about the topic you know kind of having to adjust why it's such a a why it's so present it's such a difficult challenge and why it's so relevant right now um you know it seems it when i bring it up i'm sure some of you are probably like what you know when does this happen i don't know about that you know um i doubt that's really such a big deal and i understand it but you know you have to really think about the fact that when it's you know let's look back again 69.2 percent uh people in that situation out of a hundred that's a lot of people that's a lot of students and these aren't grown people where they can you know decipher their way through very difficult situations these are these are adolescents these are the youth of america so you know as you can imagine there's a lot of really negative side effects from these things um 
you know, my going based off of an experience of a close friend in this situation, I know for a fact that, you know, you have to kind of grind down your teeth a bit sometimes. You got to hold your tongue when something wrong is really said in front of you. Maybe somebody makes a really racist joke, you know, these things, they're going to slip out at some point. Don't ever expect to not be tested because things things happen, you know, um, and it's when you're the outlier of the situation, it's very easy to just hold your tongue back and let these things slide. But the fact of the matter is, let's be quite honest, you convince yourself that uh, these things that it's OK, it didn't bother you that much. Maybe I didn't sleep so much. Maybe that's why I'm on edge. But the fact of the matter is that if somebody said that to you. Um, somebody said that exact same joke that let's just say your, your friend Joe, uh, said, and Joe happens to be a Caucasian from, uh, Palos Verdes and he has a lot of money behind his name. Let's just say the same joke Joe said to you was said outside a liquor store in a lower class area by, you know, just a, let's just say just another minority you most likely would have a problem with that. I'm not saying you would get violent. Of course, you know, we're not looking to just, you know, snap for no reason, but you would be reasonably upset and you would voice that. Um, you would voice why that's a big problem with you and why that's a no-no and why they got to watch their mouth. But you find yourself in situations where you can't do so. Um, you physically can, of course, but if you choose to even be brave enough to do so a lot of times you're going to be met with very um very much of a gaslight approach from a lot of your colleagues i was talking to my friend um she didn't want her name involved in this um let's just call her let's call her moon just for the lack of you know i don't i i just don't know what else to really call her let's call her moon my friend Moon was having a bit of a problem with this. Unfortunately, she had a best friend, uh, or not a best friend, but she had a she had kind of a close friend who has recently been shot and uh, killed by the police in her city. Um, very traumatizing situation. Um, that's a whole nother topic itself, of course. Very traumatizing issue. Um, unfortunately, Moon has really been suffering from it. A lot of negative side effects, as you can imagine. Um, but a big part of those things is that she, I suppose when this thing happened, it kind of, uh, it kind of set Moon to a point that she was a bit on edge, as you can imagine, a bit, uh, hypervigilant towards any sort of racism or any sort of bigotry or any, you know, even just ignorant comment, um, rightfully so. And it just so happens that she happens to go to a a uh, really a really nice school she goes to it's a bit like more of a private school like we were mentioning earlier um a lot of the students there are very upper class a lot of them are as we mentioned earlier uh those types of people where they they would rather you know stay on their phone at home and do lord knows what as opposed to going to a gorgeous vacation in hawaii or something um i digress but the point being, she goes to a school like that. And those students are very different from her background, as you can imagine. Um, she comes from a very working class background at best. So I was talking to her 
about, you know, how difficult it's been to adjust. And she was telling me that it was already very difficult to adjust because she felt that she had to um, kind of put on a shell of her actual personality. She had to watch what she said, um, had to always, always keep, um, she always had to keep the opinion of her colleagues in her, in her, the back of her head. So as opposed to, you know, us being like, ha ha, let's joke about this and that, because that's what I like to joke about. It would be more of a situation of let me joke about this and maybe hold my tongue for this specific topic because I know that they might not react the way that I would expect them to. Um, or they might not react positively and I'd rather not look like the sassy African-American girl that everybody has a stereotype for. I don't want to play into that, you know, is basically her thing. And I give a lot of respect to her because it's a really tough situation. And, uh, she was just telling me the other day that, uh, she called me just, you know, fuming upset and, um, Essentially, you know, there was a there was a little bit of trash talk on the basketball court during PE with the friends. You know, it happens. I I mean, I I can't when back when I was younger, I can't imagine you know playing sports without you know maybe throwing a couple jabs out there and whatnot. But uh, so apparently, one of her best friends, something racist slipped out a bit. You know, something about fried chicken. Obviously, her being the only African American girl in the school. Um, it's, it's really hard to look past that as just a funny joke. Um, and it goes back to that, you know, it goes back to what we were saying about the gaslighting is that, uh, when she confronted her about it, it was very much met with that type of, with that type of attitude of gaslighting. It was very much a situation of, oh my God, you thought that was racist? Like, you think I'm a racist? I was just joking, you know, like, I didn't mean it like that. Like, I can't, I can't believe after everything we've been through, this is what you think of me. Um, and, you know, to the untrained ear, that's, that's very much a reasonable thing to say. But um, to somebody, sorry, a bit thirsty there, to somebody in Moon's position, who has no choice but to be extremely aware and hypervigilant and a bit on edge at times, um, you know, that really doesn't fly. We, you know, you know the difference as far as that goes. Um, yeah, and overall, it's it's just not... It's just not an ideal situation, you know. Um, it just... It's one of those things that you can't understand uh, as a person until you've been in that situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to conclude, I'm sorry I'm all over the place right now. But as far as that goes uh, with Moon's situation, um, I don't want to get too much further into it. But yeah, she did give me kind of that, you know, piece of a piece of her story. And I thought that it tied really well into this whole situation and this topic, especially nowadays. Um, I myself, you know, I, I can a hundred percent, I can a hundred percent understand where Moon was coming from. And I think that her reaction was nothing short of, you know, reasonable. And there's a lot of other situations in this, and, you know, with the youth where you have to kind of, you have to adjust, you know, your outside mold for the, you know, just, just 
because you do kind of morph into different things depending on what fits the the environment for the or in, in the setting basically um there's a lot of other small things that we don't think about as a big deal you know we we think that it's just it shouldn't really matter it shouldn't bother me but the fact of the matter is that there is a bit of a problem there um a really big example is that i remember um i remember another friend i had um when he was younger he would get fairly upset when you know instagram and all these social media apps were starting to really take off he was really big on adding a lot of his friends from school as you can imagine that's what happens um and it seems that something he came across a post online somewhere about a um a statistic as far as black men being shot in america um so yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a tougher statistic overall, but he stumbled upon it and he really wanted to post it because I mean obviously you want to, you know, expose some of these things and he, especially because he took it as the opportunity to kind of expose this side of his reality to some of his friends who were in a different reality. Um you know, is his friends were in the exact same scenario, you know, a bit of kind of a Caucasian, obviously, um, a, you know, a bit more privileged and whatnot, just a different life. And uh, he reposted this and it was met with the exact same thing with a bit of a negative backlash. And the thing is, he convinced himself that it wasn't really a problem. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that it did really bother him. You know, it it, it kind of really it bugged him. It bugged him that people had a problem with him for, with him posting something that was not a biased thing. It wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't as if he posted something inappropriate. It was it was a fact. You know, it was disturbing, of course, but it's it's disturbing because it's true. It's not disturbing. It shouldn't be disturbing for any other reason. Um, and a lot of his friends uh, let him know that it wasn't okay that he posted that for the simple fact that it was just disturbing and it didn't need to be shown. And he convinced himself that that possibly was a true fact, that possibly it was just a little too out there or whatnot. You know, he kind of just dumbed it down a bit. And uh, the thing is that that had a great effect because later down the road, he had kind of already developed a bit of a sense where he felt like he couldn't safely post those things when they actually mattered a lot to him. So, I mean, if that's not, you know, changing your your persona to fit in somewhere, I don't know what else is when it's literally testing your actual core values and your morals, because those things are something that you were brought up with. Um, he sent me over this, uh, the the exact same statistic that he posted and got, you know, a lot of heat for. It was actually from the Washington Post. Um, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit rougher kind of to go over. I, I do want to put, you know, give a little bit of a trigger warning if we have something, uh, you know, against uh, police or not against. I'm sorry. Um, if we have a little bit of a trigger with police brutality, any sort of shooting, um, killing of, you know, the African-American community, then by all means, please feel free to skip ahead a good 15, 30 seconds or so. I apologize in advance. Um, but the statistic he sent me was from the Washington Post.com. Obviously, a really credible source overall. Um, something that I actually look to as well. And... Um, 
just to start it off, it's going to say, In 2015, the Washington Post began to log every fatal shooting by an on-duty police officer in the United States. In that time, there have been more than 5,000 such shootings recorded by the Post. So, as it uh, suggests, it looks like the numbers are on the up and up, which is most definitely a negative. Anyways, continuing forward. After Michael Brown, an unarmed black man, was killed in 2014 by police in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, a post-investigation found that the FBI undercounted fatal police shootings by more than half. This is because reporting by police departments is voluntary, and many departments fail to do so. This post uh, data anal- relies primarily on news out- accounts, social media postings, and police reports. Analysis of more than five years of data reveals that the number and circumstances of fatal shootings and the overall demographics of the victims have remained relatively constant. I apologize, folks. I, I can uh, tell I was stumbling my words a bit there. I um, bit unprofessional, but I'm sorry. Just, uh, my, you know, getting a little, little anxious reading these things. I'm sorry. Um, but as the quote obviously shows, I mean, it shows that the number the numbers are continuously on the up up the up and up, and it was starting in twenty fourteen, which is quite a bit of time ago. That's seventy years ago, and it hasn't slowed down as we can tell with the you know the the Black Lives Matter protests, the George Floyd incident, and uh, there's it's still going unfortunately. So as we know, it's not slowing down at all. This year has showed it, if not anything else, and. The only difference is that now it's just being captured a lot more. So to then hear that uh the big that a big part of the problem is the police departments not actually having to mandate not not uh necessarily having the duty to report these incidents, that's that's very bothersome, you know, to know that uh it's by choice essentially, because I don't know what police officer would choose to admit that they might have either pulled a taser or not pulled a taser i'm sorry pulled a uh a handgun instead of a taser or flat out just fuck just uh flat out just let out a few rounds of uh of ammunition because they were scared and under trained i don't think that a lot of people are going to admit these things but these are the things that happen and that's why police reform is so present right now and such a big topic is because it's very clear that a lot of people are undertrained and act too much on emotion and fear. Um, anyways, I digress. But this is the statistic that was posted. Not really bought, you know, nothing too disturbing or anything. But it, it's, you know, it is a bit controversial, I would say, for a lot of people who are perhaps a bit more of a uh, radical Republican, a bit more, you know, directly funding police. I can understand it, you know that it's a bit bothersome to hear something it's attacking your ideals but um you should probably never tell somebody not to you should probably never have somebody change their morals whether or not that was his colleagues intentions i have no idea all i do know though is that it did bother him a lot um and in doing so it ended up being that the the result was that um it took him until a few years into college to really form his own opinion, you know. Prior to that, it w- it was a very negative effect where he would find himself molding his uh his persona and kind of changing his ways, um, 
creating this identity that whatever fit the script essentially and that's not really the way to live obviously you want to be proud of who you are you want to be proud of your upbringing proud of your culture all these things and whatever morals you have it doesn't mean if somebody agrees with them that's awesome but if somebody disagrees with them hey man you know that's okay that doesn't mean that you're wrong it means that you know maybe it just strikes a certain chord with somebody that they don't really want to you know they don't want to acknowledge and that's that's okay there's nothing wrong with that you know um but in in doing so you should never you should never give the power to somebody who wants to gaslight you and make you feel like your argument isn't valid um you should never feel invalidated because the reality is that if you trust your instinct you trust your gut usually it's not going to lead you that far off you know um maybe the details will get a little hazy that you know like there's a little things you have to sharpen up on overall but it's never going to lead you far away because it's usually guided by your core values and and that's what defines you um anyways folks it's been around 30 minutes or so kind of just been you know rambling i tried to throw in some evidence here and there a bit of a bit of research and whatnot but um this is as i mentioned early in the podcast this is a topic i do hold very dear to my heart this is something that um i can say has affected me personally in life and um you know my you know even somebody like moon you know one of my best friends i've seen it somewhat tear away at their their uh there's you know kind of tear at their soul for the lack of a better term and uh, negative effect them and I can tell that it's uh, something that's kind of impacting the youth as of right now and as this podcast title reveals I mean I care about the youth a lot I care about the the culture and and the reason why I feel the youth is so important is because I mean we become the next generation of you know goal setters and uh, we the youth is eventually going going to take charge and uh set the new standard you know so to speak um anywho i uh i really appreciate you guys once again for tuning in um i know this episode has been all over the place i i just appreciate you for sticking by and you know if you made it this far honestly i really i really um I hope that this uh, didn't, you know, trigger anything within you. I apologize in advance if um, you feel a little offended. I just want to let you know that, um, you know, there was no negative intentions in mind. Everything was for the positive. Um, Just looking to looking to reveal some light on a real situation that's been a bit hidden in the dark these days, especially. And, um, you know, we're always looking to educate ourselves, looking to move forward. That's that's always the goal. You never want to stay stagnant. Don't be complacent. Always look to move forward. If you're not getting better, then you're wasting your time. Um, I think that's going to conclude today's episode. Um, going to set up another poll for next week's episode. Let me know what you guys are thinking. I'll put up some, you know, put up some choices there to see what topic we want to lean on. But let me know what you're thinking, okay, guys? And uh, if you have any any questions, feel free to, you know, check my email. I always have that linked in the bio. Um, feel free to let me know if you have any questions. Just message me. I'd love to talk to more of you guys. Um, anyways, thank you guys so much. I appreciate your time and your energy. And I hope to see you guys back soon, okay? 
Again, this has been your host, Seven, and uh, that's going to be concluding this podcast. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day.